Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout, which is now part of the High Productions family. We're on episode 27, people, and I can't quite believe it. We are really starting to get up the number line <laughs> in episode numbers, and soon enough, we'll be at episode 50. As per usual, my name is Ingram Noble, and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. I'm here every Tuesday with a new guest to hopefully entertain you all. And this week... I am so excited because I am joined by the Chats with Estates favourite shameless copper. This week I am joined by the one, the only, Warren Donnelly. Now, quickly before we get into this episode, I have a slight disclaimer. So, I will talk about it a little bit in the podcast, but I want to let you all know beforehand. Um... When we were doing this, I normally record via Zoom, and Zoom decided to stop working, and I couldn't hear anything that Warren was going to say. So, we had to revert to the old-fashioned way of doing it over a telephone call, and I held my phone to the mic as we have this conversation. It was great, and I loved every second of speaking to Warren. But that being said, some of the audio isn't the best. Um... Obviously, holding a phone to a mic really isn't up to the standards of technology that we are normally used to working with, but we made it work, and it's such a great episode, and anybody that knows me will know how near and dear to my heart that Shameless is, so I couldn't not put this episode out for you all to enjoy. So, without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, the one, the only, Warren Donnelly. Drama school dropout. No graduation day for you. Drama school dropout. Found your whole course, now try something new. Drama school dropout. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm very happy to be doing this. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited that you're coming on and doing it. Thank you so much. Um, we should tell everyone as well that we're currently conducting this in a massively different way because Zoom decided to stop working on us. So currently I, I've, I'm holding my phone to a microphone and we're doing this via phone call. Old fashioned technology. Yeah, making it work. Um, so how's life? Are, are you all ready to be like sort of going back into real life? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of my life doesn't really feature real life, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> lockdown's been a strange old time, but I've sort of got on with it and got my head down and done my best. I've managed to do a bit of work during lockdown and positive and motivated, so yeah, I'm all for going back into a bit of normality. Oh, that's, and, I'm um, genuinely you know, really happy to hear it. Well, I think we could all do with it, couldn't we? I think we could all do with a bit of normality back in our lives, so uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, Scotland opens up again tomorrow. Obviously, this episode isn't airing for a, a couple of weeks, but we're all sort of going half back to normal tomorrow, and I'm so excited. Yeah, that's uh, much needed. <laughs> so, what I always like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast is, how did you get into acting, and what was your first role? Right, how I got into acting was, when I was a little boy, uh, I used to like draw and read and write and that kind of thing. I always liked, I think I was lucky when I was a little boy, actually, that there was a lot of very good children's television on yeah. at the time, because there was, a lot, there was a lot less television for starters, so what tended to happen was the people who made the grown-ups television would also make the children's television, so there was a lot of good stuff out there to watch, 
And I sort of had an interest in that. I went to the Edmund New Theatre at the end of the 1970s, 79, 80. And that was a very kind of um, productive time. Um, Ken Campbell was the artistic director of the Edmunds. It was all a bit wacky and it was interesting and fun. And a little bit sort of punk rock, I think, as well. It was the tail end of all of that. I did that and then got involved with local theatre. Went to a drama centre straight after school called Second Downs Theatre Workshop. That was fantastic. It was full of girls. I've been to an old boys' school for five years, so that was very um, a very welcome distraction. <laughs> and I just kept going, and that's how it all sort of started. And you know, I, I got involved with more and more stuff. And eventually got an agent. I mean, the first job I ever did was in 1982. Was it? Um, a television program called Johnny Jones, which is about um, a boy in Wales during the Second World War. And he meets a load of them evacuees from Liverpool, of which I was one. I was 13 when I made that 12 going on 13. And it's, it's out there on YouTube. There's a little blonde boy with glasses. It was me. Yeah. So it was the very first thing I ever did. And apparently in Wales, they show it every Christmas. It's a big family favourite. So oh, that's good then. Recently. Yeah. So that was the first thing I, I ever did um, at the age of 12, stroke 13. Just as popular as Gavin and Stacey then? Well, I think I think I think it's a, it's a bit of a sob story, so I don't think there's many laughs to be had. But everybody gets <laughs> together and watches it every Christmas. Has a good cry, you know. And uh, I mean, I've never seen it, and I'm, I'm not sure I, I want to see my. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, actually, no, that's that's, that's a lie. I, I would like to see it. Actually, I'd, I'd like to see what I looked like when I was twelve, and if I was any good in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so anybody that's got access to it, please send it to Warren. Yeah, Johnny Jones. Yeah, <laughs> send it to me. So then. We spoke about this briefly before we started recording. I'm a massive fan of Shameless, actually. I've just finished re-watching the whole series because I've watched it about six times since we went into lockdown on Netflix. Um, Also, I kind of want to say that I may have been some sort of catalyst for that going on Netflix because, I mean, I wasn't, obviously. But the amount of times that I, like, tweeted about it and... if we're being really honest, it was on Channel 4 OD and you had to watch the adverts if you wanted to watch it. And I couldn't really be bothered. Um, but yeah, I would tweet Netflix all the time about getting it onto the getting Shameless onto Netflix and then it all of a sudden happened. And I remember Netflix said, it's already on. And I was like, that's the American version, which is shite. Yeah. Which we're not even bothering with. Um do you get, like, a lot of people see when you say, like, oh, you were in Shameless, does anybody ever sort of start talking to you about the American one? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I'm amazed that people still recognise it in Shameless. I mean, I, I, that might sound like a strange thing to say, but when I, I did Shameless, I was very aware that it was called Shameless, not a stand show, you know, so I never <laughs> really thought anybody would ever notice me. And I never really thought all these years later people still ask me about Shameless, and they do. Quite often they'll say, you know, so the American show then, do you get any money for that? And the answer to that is no. <laughs> and also, I mean, but what really amazes me is that a lot of people, if I ever get recognised, it's for Shameless or for an episode of Life on Mars, I mean, and it's usually by people who have been too young to watch the series the first time round. I mean, where I live in Liverpool, which is in the centre, it's a big student area. So it's a lot of young students so seem to recognise from Shameless who would have been far too small to see it. So it, it had a, a life of its own. I mean, things like Netflix and Morph or when you repeat it, things don't go away. I mean, at one time with the television, things were shown once, maybe twice. Yeah. You miss them. You miss them now. I mean, God forbid I drop dead tomorrow, but I'll be carrying on entertaining people in my own unique way. Whatever I think, as long as you show these things. Yeah. The, so no, the thing that... I, I get asked a lot you know, about the American version, but I've never seen the American version. Me neither. I, mean, I don't... I think I saw a clip of it. 
And I was just yeah. sort of like, no, nah. I mean, I didn't really watch the English version, so I, I didn't really watch the episodes that I'm in. I always find it very hard to watch it yourself, so if I'm not in the American version, I definitely wasn't going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I love about Shameless, like you said, that you were aware that it was called Shameless and not The Stand Show, they yeah. really sort of, what it seems like is they brought a character in or they had a character and they were sort of like, let's test this out and see how this person does on it. And then, yeah. like, Lillian. Lillian started out just being, like, a really minor background character as well as Stan. And sort of, I think, maybe... I'm not in the writer's room of Shameless, obviously. But it seems to me like they sort of were like, yeah, this is quite a good character. Let's bump them up to, like, a series regular. Well, what happened with me was that I auditioned for a completely different part. I auditioned for the part of the deck collector. And I went to the audition, and the audition seemed to go well. And then the agent rang up and went, listen, the... Um, the deck left a job, it's not happening. I went, okay, well, fair enough. She went, but there's a part of a policeman for one episode. Now, at the time, I was very happy with that. I thought, wow, you know, that's good. An episode yeah. of a telly show. It's got a good buzz about it. Then that became two episodes because they quite liked the character and they liked what I, was, I did with it in the read-through and the first bit of filming. So I went from having one episode to having two episodes. Then they went, they said, right, as soon as we finish filming those, we're going to film a Christmas special. So I had three episodes, and then he went, we'll offer you a contract. Now, that all took place over maybe a fortnight, ten days. It was a couple of phone calls and an audition, and I suddenly found myself in a show. And, yeah, I, I think what they, what they seemed to do was they wanted to create like, this ensemble, you know, this, this community living on the estate. And I think if you liked what you did, they increased your part. Yeah. And, you know, added other elements to the role. So it wasn't just about being a policeman who's on the estate. You then suddenly have a character to play with. You pick brains about what I thought of the character, and you know it was it was very good. I mean, it, it took me by surprise because I I've been working doing stuff, and the shameless audition was just another audition, and it never occurred to me that I'd particularly get it. You know, it's that's typically the rule. Yeah, with auditions you go along and you get some of them, and some some of the ones some of the auditions you get are the least likely ones. They're the ones you think you've blown. Yeah, and, and the auditions you think you've smashed, they're the ones you never get, you know. So, yeah, it, it seems to be like that, that was their policy. If you like the character, they develop it. So, I was very grateful and very lucky for, for that to happen, you know. It was such a good part as well. Like, he's one of my favourite... My favourite characters and one of my best friends, I'll give him a shout-out, Brogan, who I introduced to Shameless. Our sort of favourite characters sort of shift because it's obviously 11 series and nobody really... Unless you're Frank, nobody tends to stick around that long. So in, like, the first series... Like, I'm going to just put it out. Jodie Latham is one of the reasons I got into acting. One of my favourite actors in the world. So... Up until maybe Lip left, I was like, Lip was my favourite. I loved Kev. But there was always just something about Stan that he just sort of came in and was like, he just lifted it. Like, it sort of, you could come into like this scene that was very, like one that comes to sort of mind is when Mina uh, orchestrates the shop to be robbed. And like Stan comes in and he just makes it a little bit funny. Oh, well, it's just a picture role, and, and the thing is that they give you really good stuff to do. And I, and when I, I remember saying to one, one of the writers, or the editor, or producer, or somebody anyway, I remember saying that what I liked about the idea of the kind of stand is somebody who means well, but just sort of gets things slightly wrong. Yeah. In a good natured way. I mean, I, I always think, you know, it, 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 it's something quite funny about people who try their very best and, and, and fail, which sometimes, and it's not their fault, you know. So I like the idea that the idea of stand was that, you know, he, he meant well. 
basically. Uh-huh. Turn up and get things wrong. And I like playing that, you know, I think it's, it, was, it was nice to play. And also, it, working on a, a, a long-running thing, you know, you, you learn things, I think, about acting, acting to camera and how to underplay stuff and how to, you know, hopefully how to do it right. So doing shavings for me was a bit of an education as well. Because up until that point, I've done some telly, done a bit of film, but I've done mostly a lot of live stuff. Yeah. So um, it was a really good sort of learning process, to be honest with you. I learned an awful lot about acting to camera and, um, and the environments of a television set and, and the pressures of time and all that sort of stuff. You know, it, it was a real eye-opener. Yeah, because I've only done theatre just now, and people constantly tell me, oh, if you get lucky enough to get a telly gig, you, you're going to have a sharp shock. Oh, yeah, but the thing is, I mean, the first service bit of television I did was in the very early 1990s. As, as, as an adult, you know, I've done the John Jones thing. Yeah. And it's a different experience, obviously, when you, you know, you're know that age. But what struck me was I walked onto a set and everybody really knew their job. Do you know what I mean? It was really, really, it was like this machine. And I remember thinking, well, you know, you've always wanted to do this, and you're here now, so you better be able to do your job as well. Yeah. And with television, I mean, my, my it's very rare on television that you get a lot of rehearsals to do anything. I mean, yeah. You, you sort of tend to turn up to a quick one-two for the director, and we want to go for a take pretty quickly. So you've got to get into that kind of um, mindset of, right, we're going to go for it, I'm going to be so on top of this, I've got to know my lines inside, I was, I'm backwards. And that includes, sort of, even if you get the script late, you're still going to learn it and know it and do it, you know, and it really keeps you on your toes. Such and a fast turnaround. Like, yeah, and there's, there's no time for precious behaviour or people farting around, you know, you, you've got to get on with them. So, oh, well, what's the so point like, then if I can't be a diva? No, well, you know, you, you, you can say the diva stuff when you go home. And then, <laughs> you, can make, you can invent stories, but once you, I mean, the, the people, it seems to me that, you know, a, a lot of people who... who do very well on a television. There's at least every people at all, and also the, the, the big killer with all this stuff is time. Not so much money, you know. It's the, the day goes by very quickly, and there's so many scenes to film. Yeah, want to get them in. And that's, that's, that's just fighting against the clock. Yeah, really, it really is. You know, you're up against it. And good television directors can cope with all that pressure and, and produce the goods. And you know, it's it's, it's great how they do it. So Shameless was like a massive, it was really a different beast when it came to like sex, drugs, rock and yeah. roll. Was there anything that you were ever asked to do? Because obviously there's those early on scenes where like Kev has got his willy out and a lot of people are topless. Was there ever anything that you were asked to do that you were just sort of like, what the fuck, why are you asking me to do that? Well, it seems to be that at some point it was your turn for the, uh, what the fuck, why are you asking me to do that scene, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so I just, there was an episode where... There's a guy dressed up as Elvis. He was, I can't remember the whole story, but it turns out it's me, it's Stan. So I had to do a scene where I was dressed as Elvis, and this is like sort of Las Vegas Elvis, you know, in the big jumpsuit, yeah. stones, wearing an Elvis wig and these great pair of sunglasses, while a woman um, gave me a blowjob. So that was that was written in the script, and I went right. I thought, well, my me, me old mother's going to be watching this, so that's going to be interesting. Were you just like, maybe, will we'll, my, maybe we'll cancel my mum watching that episode? Yeah, as will be my long-suffering um, girlfriend, you know. So, so <laughs> I ended up, yeah, that, that was the first time. So I ended up in, in this on this closed set with my trousers around my ankles with this woman um, at an angle sort of <laughs> doing this act, you know. And then it was a closed set and then um, and it was the least arousing thing I've ever done in my life. You know what I mean? It was incredibly embarrassing. And then every so often... You, you get like the shagging scene or the um, 
And did you maybe sort of lock out with that as well? Because Kelly Hollis, who played Yvonne, has spoke about it quite often that after the first season aired, she sort of had her contract amended and had like a really strict no nudity, no sex clause put in. Well, I didn't know because I just thought, well, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, don't, I mean, it, it, it still bothered me fairly early on, and I thought, well, it's part of it. Yeah. And, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know, it's such a mad thing on stage and sort of together, so, it, it, no, it, it didn't bother me. I mean, what, what was funny about the um, Elvis, or interesting about the Elvis blowjob scenes, a couple of months after filming that, there was a gap in between series of Shameless, and I went up and did an episode of um, the Basil Brush show. Yeah. And I was sat in the canteen, and this guy went, I went, across the bay was the woman who only a couple of months ago. <laughs> I've been on all fours, um, you know, pretending to do this. Just act on me, so I said, "Oh, hello, not nice to meet you again." And I thought, "That's that's the acting industry for you." you know? Yeah, you do bizarre things in bizarre places and then meet people again. <laughs> so, when it came to sort of you left in series seven, if I'm thinking correctly, yeah. how did it come about? You leaving? Was it just a case of um, well, the time? Yeah, what tends to happen on shows like that is that you have to refresh them every so often. Yeah, and. I think really, I mean, a lot of my stuff was done with two other actors, Michael Legg and Amanda Ryan, who also played police officers. Yeah. So they left, and I think I should have gone with them. But they offered me another year, which I stayed for. And then halfway through that year, I remember thinking, I don't know if my character works anymore, really. And are they going to keep me on? So there was talk of coming back and doing a bit more, and then having a break, and then maybe coming back. But I got the feeling, I thought, no, maybe my character's run its time. You're going to bring in new people, and that's fair enough. You know, you can't really... I mean, you can only do so much with something, and a series can only go on for so long. Yeah. In a certain way. Otherwise, it, it just becomes repetitive. And I, I remember I did my last couple of episodes and thinking, do I, am I sad about this if I don't come back? And then funny story, I wasn't really. I, was, I thought, well, now, you know, maybe changing. And, you know, it, it, one thing I'm very happy about is that Having been in Shameless, it didn't stop me working and doing other stuff. Yeah. It's been nothing but a, but, but a positive thing. So very quickly after finishing those last couple of episodes, I was back doing a bit of telly. But then led to other television jobs. Then led to a bit of theatre, live stuff, pencil, all manner of stuff, adverts. So, you know, it wasn't like it ended and it was, oh my God, what am I going to do now? I just sort of carried on as I had been before. Mm-hmm. Which I'm very lucky, very, very lucky, you know. Yeah, because that's sort of always the sort of thing that you maybe hear with some people. I know that some people that I've spoke to, especially on the podcast, have said sort of they walk into an audition room and they go, oh, there's Stan from Shameless. Yeah. Well, I, I see, I have, a, I have a quirky, distinctive look. And I think I've got a quirky way about of acting, I think, at times. So lots, lots of, there's lots of parts I can do that's like quirky. I, mean, I don't play the fellow next door very often because I don't look like the fellow next door. But I've always played some quirky counterparts, big, small, decent things, funny things, you know. And so I sort of fell back into doing that. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and as I say, I'm incredibly lucky because I, I think, you know, with a lot of acting work, luck is a huge part of it. Also, though, the whole the old cliche of saying that you have to make your own luck, that's very true. You've got to go for your oh, 100%. Luck. You've got to put yourself about. 
So it just seemed to sort of work okay for me. And I've worked fairly consistently ever since. And also, you know, I mean, I, when it comes to acting, I'm not very precious about it. I mean, my family background, there's a lot of musicians in my family, like my father and brother yeah. and spouses. And they have a lot of musician friends who are friends of mine. And I treat my acting jobs as gigs. Like they treat their music jobs as gigs. I don't get too precious about it. I go, what's the job? What does it involve? And I'll go and do it. Yeah. And that's what they keeps me saying, but keeps me moving on from one thing to the next. So I will treat a telly job the same as a live theatre job. If, if you want me to be in a pantomime as the Daft King, I'll be the Daft King for you very happily. As long as you're getting paid. Yeah, you've got to keep working, you've got to keep moving, and you've got to keep yourself the boss. Yeah. And, you know, and you do that by going for the auditions. And quite often, you know, it's, it's the least likely auditions are the one got for when you laugh. Mm-hmm. for you. So, one last question about Shameless. Um, did anything from the set make it home with you? Did you, in air quotes, borrow anything? Were you given anything? When I did the Elvis episode, I got to, I got to keep the sunglasses. Because um, the, the, the writer of the episode was so grateful that I agreed to do the, blog, the, the, the blowjob scene. He bought me these set of sunglasses. That, that's a present for you. But no, you couldn't say, you couldn't pinch anything. It was all very much um, accounted for. And I haven't got my policeman's uniform or the cuffs or anything like that. So, I mean, you uh, could get into trouble if you were walking around in a policeman's uniform. Yeah, I, I should imagine so, yeah. And, and, I mean, I, and I think also, I'm such an unlikely policeman, I really would get into trouble. So. <laughs> no, I've, we, we've all given copies of the DVDs. And somewhere in my cupboard, I've got um, a script that I ever did on Shameless. So I suppose if they're ever worth a fortune, I could sell them, couldn't I? Make Let me know, because I'd probably buy one. Um, just because there's like stories of uh, I'm not going to incriminate anyone that was um because I watched the shameless reunion that you did on YouTube yeah. uh, and there was somebody that just happened to let mention that somebody maybe stole the sign of the jockey that's right well about news to me I didn't know that that was a bit of a surprise to me I'd so, never heard yeah. that before either well I was there and I'd never heard that either <laughs> so, yeah, it surprised me so, what have you been up to over? Because obviously we've sort of been locked at home for a year and a bit now. Have you been doing any acting work? Or... Well, just before lockdown, I um I got an offer, direct offer from the BBC to do an episode of Doctors, which is nice because you know it's, it's always nice to get a direct offer. Yeah. And then the same week, a mate of mine went, right? Will you do Panto for me this Christmas? And it was it was a really well paid job, and I went, yeah, I'll do it. Then the next thing you know, lockdown happened. So everything was up in the air. I eventually did the um, doctor's job. It was the first day back of the BBC filming. So we had to go and film it under some COVID regulations, which was very odd. Yeah. I stand two metres apart, but we did that. And um, I did my a, bit, a few other things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was all at first, because obviously nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. But slowly but surely, you know, there's been some auditions happening again, which you tend to film yourself and send it off. So you can actually sort of get out of bed to your audition and go back to bed. <laughs> it was like when we were talking over email scheduling this and you yeah. hit back. I was in London at the time and you hit back with, no, I don't like, sod early mornings or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah. a man after my own heart. Oh, because I've always done that, I tell you. But um, yeah, so I've managed to do a bit of stuff. But um, I mean, the, the weird thing is, it's not, when lockdown happened, it's not like as an actor, most of us aren't working every single week of the year as an actor. So it, in some ways it didn't really affect. It's not when like my job suddenly stopped. Yeah. It's just that there were no auditions. But things picked up. And if things, I mean, if everything goes to plan and we do come out of lockdown, then there's a possibility of some work for me. So it's just, I think it's a wait and see. I mean, you, 
my thing about it is, is I'm not going to beat myself up over the lockdown because I can't do anything about it. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's a case of staying positive, politician, and stay in touch with your agents and just see how it all pans out. Mm-hmm. So I've got some more questions that I like to ask yeah. everyone just because I'm a nosy bastard. Um, if you could pick anyone in the world to do a two-man show with in the West End or a two-person show with no money restraints, who would you pick? So, like, anyone in the world. Uh, well, there's a question. I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of actors I admire. Um, there are always household names. I mean, I've looked at everything I did with David Toronto, and I learned an awful lot from acting with him, so I'd definitely do something with him. Uh, who else? As a little boy, I used to love um, Tom Baker as Doctor Who. So yeah. I travel back in time to the 1970s. <laughs> I'll do a show with Tom Baker as Doctor Who and me as a sidekick. How's that? Yeah, that that's good. And apart from all the various actresses I fancy, <laughs> but we won't go into that. We'll keep it clean. That's just too long of a list to get into. Oh, yo, Anthony, be here all day. So then, if we were following the government's advice, which we're not going to because we don't yeah. want to retrain, but if you could walk into a job tomorrow and you didn't need to say like have a degree or anything, and you could pick anything that you wanted, what would you want to do out with the entertainment industry? A librarian. I love books. I've got a, well, I, I collect books. I've got a flat that's filled with books. And um, I always was a little boy. If I didn't want to be an actor, I wanted to work in the library. I love libraries. Well, that's very similar to mine, actually. Yeah, so it's not a very exciting answer, but I was, I mean, I'm building a library in my house in the flat. It's all the books. <laughs> so I would quite happily have a job in a library and potter about very quietly, sorting the books out and reading the books and laughing around. So yeah, I'd do that. Yeah, I always say I'd love to edit novels. Well, where I used to live as a little boy, um, nearby there was Lister Drive Baths and um, Lister Drive Library that were both um, beautiful Victorian buildings um, that were built, well, were sort of funded by Andrew Carnegie, the great Victorian philanthropist, he was like the Victorian Bill Gates. Yeah. And, and the, the baths were beautiful, beautifully tiled, and the library was lovely, and they recently restored it. I used to love going there and the atmosphere of the place and the books and the shelves and the, the air of sort of, you know, justiness about it. So, yeah, I'd, I'd quite happy to get my job there, you know. What is your favourite book? Oh, well, I'll tell you the book that had a big influence on me. I remember when I was about 15, my, I read The Makers by John Files and felt very grown up. <laughs> so that's a book that's had a big influence on me. I love Dickens. I love Nicholas Nickleby. I love um, I've got a big soft spot for the Pickwick Papers. Little Doris took me three goes to read. So I'm not picking on that one. <laughs> um, I like a good thriller. I like James Alroy. I like good science fiction. Um, actually, you know Ian Banks. So yeah, I've always got a book on the go. I, I can't imagine never not having a book on the go. <laughs> so there's lots, lots of books. Yeah. Um, so before we end, I always like to play a little game with everyone. It's the drama school dropout game, and it's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. Uh, I'm going to give you three drama school theatre, all like any sort of story that could pertain to the entertainment industry. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and one of them is complete bullshit. So it's okay. our job, and I don't know which one's um, the lie. It's all done by our producer Heather, um, so we can play along together, and I'll read them out. So, number one, here's my worst audition story. I was doing a cold read for a play, and in the moment, I misread the word condiment and thought it was condom, and accidentally said, why don't you just put all of the condoms on your sandwich? I bet it'll taste nice. Uh, 
I didn't get that part. Number two, for one of my last modules at uni, I chose to do a directing module and ended up directing someone's short film, which involved me having to explain the definitions of Glory Hall, Blumpkin, and 69 to an an adorably prudish actress in her late 60s. Okay. And then number three, I was in an amateur play about a football team and ended up falling on stage after tripping over one of the balls and broke my two front teeth and ended up having to get them removed. I didn't have an understudy and the play had to be cancelled. Do you know what? I think number three is the most likely, actually, because explaining the um, the nosy ways... And I think number one. So I'd say number three is the um, more likely story. So we're looking for which one do you think is bullshit? Oh, which one's bullshit? Yeah, two of them are true, and one of them's okay. a lie. Uh, number two is bullshit. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm going to look now. Oh, we're wrong. It's number three. Number three? Yeah, the one about the football was bullshit. Ah, oh, well, fair enough, then. Excuse what I know, then. I don't know if <laughs> Heather does do things like that. She throws in really believable stories that have probably happened in real life, but... They're the lie. Well, yeah, well, that's fair enough. You've, 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 you've fooled me with that. <laughs> She's fooled me too, because that is, like, genuine... That's something that I could see myself doing. Yeah. It's, like, one of my yeah. biggest fears as well is breaking my teeth, so... Oh, no, no, no. I'm not, I've, I've avoided injuries on stage, thankfully, so... But, um, yeah, it, it's amazing, actually, because theatres are such very dark places and yeah, and darkness and cables everywhere, so, yeah... Oh yeah, with injuries in the theatre, we were doing Macbeth in my last year of college and we didn't take the curse of Macbeth serious enough and I think maybe yeah. five of us got injured. I um, nearly sprained my ankle, I fell off a bit of rostra, one of our witches broke her foot on stage, it was mental. Oh, no, well, I, I, I haven't injured myself. Whether I've injured the audience through my performances, there was another matter here. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't flick the damages on the, on the audience, my uh, scenery cheering occasionally. Oh. That's the only thing about my, my, my wonderful career, you see. I've ended up doing all the pantomime, but a man who can't sing or dance, it's remarkable. So, yeah, maybe my singing and dancing and panto may have caused a few, um, a few outrageous <laughs> moments of pain for the pain customers. <laughs> a few hours of therapy. Yeah, well, definitely that, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but we've come to the end now, genuinely. Thank you so much for coming on and doing the podcast. Like I said, and oh, I've no, said throughout no the whole thing, Shameless has been... I remember I, I went... I'm a drama school dropout, and I went to drama school in 2020, and one of the first things that we all sort of went around with this one lecturer was um, your favourite play and your favourite TV show and your favourite film. Um, I won't bore you with the other details, but I said Shameless was my favourite TV show, um, and I got a lot of very snooty looks, and I told them all to go fuck themselves. <laughs> I think the ability to tell people to go and fuck themselves, particularly at drama school, is priceless. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, I give you 10 out of 10 for that. I, I also had reasons for liking Shameless. It was sort of like, it's one of the only TV shows that shows you actually how the working class live and all that sort of stuff. And I, I had reasons. Well, I wasn't just saying, oh, it's a funny telly show. No, I think Shameless, um, it's, it's, it's a piece of the first series before Christmas, which I actually watched and watched myself for a change. And I forgot how good it was. Oh. You know, Seamus, especially early on, it was so good. That 
it was completely different to everything else that was on television and it caused a moment and it caused a mood and and that's why i'm still talking about it now yeah don't get me wrong i could lose the last three series they were a bit like oh i never saw them but i mean no i think it's you know it's it's one of those things where you go um people go do you mind talking about shameless you go well well, what i've I've got no beef with shameless at all it did nothing but good for me i was part of something that was very very good and i can say that with a lot of confidence, it's true, you know. Yeah. It's really awful. I've been on podcast I've heard from you, so... Um, yeah, it's you know, one of my... It's one of my things that I say sort of got me into acting because one of my favourite parts about acting is just telling stories and I like to tell stories that are like you don't often see. Um, For example, me and one of my friends have just wrote a play that is very similar to Shameless. Um, We took a lot of... Um, inspiration it's completely different but it's sort of set on a council estate and i like to sort of tell the stories of the people who you don't genuinely generally tend to see and things like that yeah so that's what well, totally drew me well no that's it i mean it's it's it, you know telling stories is something we all do you put on stage you, know, you make the pub and tell you the story but it's great to be able to tell stories um, in a unique way, and I think that's what Seamus did. It sort of captures, I think, at its best. How life is very ordinary and surreal. I mean, you can't make normal life up. And yeah. Call that elements of it. You know, you just go. I mean, I'd say there's nothing like it on telly at the time, and I don't think there's been anything like it since. And I can't ever complain about it because, you know, I, I worked before Seamus, and I've done a lot of work since. Well, I've never really done Seamus again. Yeah. I think Seamus just represents. Britain, British working class people in such a way that I think if anybody tried to copy it, it wouldn't be successful because everyone would just say that's shameless. Well, it, it represents Britain and working class people a lot more effectively than all this flag bullshit that's going on at the moment. That's not Britain. What Britain is is a lot more complicated than the Union Jack flag yeah. and Boris Johnson and all that. Oh. So and what Seamus caught was how, how life is and how people are and how mad and random and ordinary it is as well all at the same time yeah life, your life is a mixture of a very ordinary stuff and some completely bizarre stuff and you live it so i think i think seamus sort of nailed that and that's why it was so popular it wasn't just the stuff the, the, the dodgy sex or the the outrageous stuff i think it, I think it just it, it it caught people's attention because it, it reflected how life is mm-hmm. and i have a new rule in life and because you've mentioned his name i have to now say it on the podcast for the first time fuck you boris i yes, hope you once again I, I i endorse that message yeah and, and your flags with you. so yeah i'm right there with you on that one i'm really not like a fan of many politicians at the moment have you seen that caitlin jenner is now running for governor of california well yeah and um, we'll probably win so yeah, don't put that out into the world, Warren. Yeah, but, but, you know, you go, yeah, yeah, absolutely, go on, go on, Jacqueline. I mean, go for it, you know, and you'll win, and then there'll be another controversy, and, and life goes on, doesn't it? You know, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I started filming Shameless when I was 30, 33. I'm about to be fifty-two this year, and I'm none the wiser. And God forbid, if I live to ninety-two, I'll be none the wiser. <laughs> the way the world works, it's just what it is. Yeah, so where can everyone that's listening find you on social media? I'm on Twitter. Um, I was done one. Um, I'm on Facebook, but to be honest with you, I get a lot of very odd Facebook requests, so <laughs> chances are I won't add you. But you can get me on Twitter. 
and you can get me on all four and God knows what. And you know, I'm around about. I'm out there somewhere. I mean, you can't miss me. So um, yeah, all you got to do is do a Twitter search, and you will find me. <laughs> But thank you so much for coming on. Genuinely, it's it's always lovely. I grew up watching you because I shouldn't have been watching Shameless at the time that I was watching it. But it really did. Precisely, that's precisely the right day to be watching it when you should be watching it is when you should be watching things. So yeah, I remember. I that you did that. Um, it was the time that you know when you used to. It, they just first came out where you could record onto a DVD instead of a tape. Yeah, yeah. And my auntie had recorded a J.K. Rowling documentary because I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. And I remember she said to me, the documentary's on there, but there's something else on there that you're not allowed to watch. As soon as you told me I wasn't allowed to watch it, what did I yeah. do? It's game over then, isn't it? I was like, right, I'm watching Shameless then. Um, so yeah, it's it's massively shaped my life. And it's one of, it's genuinely, it's on a very short list of films and TV shows that have inspired me to get into this industry so i can only say thank you for being part of that oh no well, listen thank you for having me on the show it's um been a very jolly chat yes thank you so much for coming on it genuinely and it genuinely means a lot to me because you get a lot of people oh. that tell me to fuck off <laughs> well no worries i'm glad to uh take part perfect thank you so much there we have it another episode of drama school dropout completed episode 27 in the bag genuinely i can't believe that we're getting so far on with this now and it genuinely feels like five minutes ago that i was sat with heather who is now a drama school dropout producer and i was telling her that i wanted to do a podcast it feels like 10 minutes ago but it's really in reality been 28 weeks which is mental because we had a little break well actually it'll be 29 weeks because we had two little breaks um, but thank you so much, guys, for listening in at home. This episode has been near and dear to me because Shameless was such a massive part of my childhood as I was growing up. And it's still one of my favourite TV shows. And I'm still astounded any time that somebody who I grew up watching and admire says yes to come and be on my little podcast that I produce in my bedroom. So yeah, as per usual, uh, the theme tune is performed by Anna Davidson. So make sure to go and give her all of the love because she is so talented. And where am I at? <laughs> You'd think I would know what I was doing by now. So make sure to go and show Warren all of the love on social media. Remember that an Instagram follow, an Instagram like or a retweet on Twitter is free to you, but really helps creators in the long run. And it's massively helpful so make sure to go and do that and if you're feeling extra generous please scroll down leave us a little rating and a review because it boosts my ego it creates all sorts of madness in my head and it makes us continue to be a global phenomenon and remember if you've got any stories for stage right or stage shite please please email us dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com and i will be back again next week on tuesday and remember we're not doing 12 noon anymore we're doing it so that these episodes are up when you wake up and you can listen to them on your commute because i used to love listening to podcasts on the train when i was going to uni so they're up now every morning for you to wake up on a tuesday and 
it's absolutely mental who I'll be talking to next week. I'll be chatting to the only Hollyoaks matriarch that really matters, let's really be honest. I'll be chatting to the one, the only, Nicole Barbalane, who is most well known for her iconic and legendary role in Hollyoaks as Myra McQueen. And I'm so buzzing for everyone to hear it. And remember, we are back every Tuesday and the episodes are no longer up at 12 noon. They will be there for you to wake up and listen to, whether it's on your commute, whether you want to have a lane in bed drama school dropout is here every tuesday to entertain you so please make sure if you never want to miss another episode of drama school dropout to scroll up and click that subscribe button and then you'll get a little notification it's all fancy and jazzy but thank you so much as per usual i've been ingram noble and i've been chatting to warren donnelly and this has been episode 27 of drama school dropout roll the theme tune Drama school dropout No graduation day for you Drama school dropout Fuck your whole course, now try something new Drama school dropout